Hey everybody, bienvenidos, bienvenue, benvenuti, willkommen. Welcome to another episode of the Red Card Report podcast. This is episode number 54. And man, do we have a lot of football that we got to talk about. It was a Champions League week. Our favorite week, to be honest. Really missed this competition. Glad it's back. Uh, and here to talk with me about this week is my good friend and co-host, Rui Pereira. Rui, how are you doing? Fantastic, as always, Joe. Yeah, I mean, you you feeling okay? You doing all right? Doing all right. Everything is going great so far. Just the intro, Joe. The intro, you're you're killing me, man. You've been doing this intro now for I don't know how many weeks, and you still have yet to say oh, "Bem-vindos." Sejam no. bem-vindos, uh, Joe. Okay, can I try again? No, I'm I, not gonna... actually. You know what, Joe? I think you'd be doing too much if you actually did it. So I don't know. Can I at least try saying the word? Yeah, and give me give me a score out of ten or whatever. Okay, ready? <clears throat> bem-vindos. That's pretty good. Like, that's pretty was good, that, Joe. Was that passable? Yeah, I think that's passable. Okay, I can keep my Portuguese So now you're going to have to practice the whole thing in the mirror a oh. couple of times. <laughs> Until you get it right. Benvindus, benvindus, benvindus. Oh, shit. Yeah, but, we got, yeah that's going to be a little bit tough. But so long as I can retain my Portuguese card, then I'm happy with that. But anyway, this was a Champions League week. Another one of our favorite competitions. And this week was fucking nuts. Yep. Just all the games, all the goals, and some pretty big wins and upsets for this competition. Yep. We'll see if it actually continues. But let's start with the first fixture of the week, and that would be RB Leipzig and Tottenham. RB going through 4 nothing on aggregate, winning this game 3 nothing. Rui, give us the latest on this game. What happened? Absolute disaster class. Tottenham, disaster class. Mourinho, disaster class. Now, I know this isn't a You're team. A bit, you love Mourinho, I though. do. I, I still believe he approaches the game the right way. I think his team, I think he's inherited a, a bit of a mess at Tottenham. And we can see. We saw it under Poch. Well, we kind of saw it in the second half of last season in the EPL, but they played pretty well in the in the Champions League. They made it, obviously, all the way to the final. But we saw that there was some uh, turmoil and distress and insecurities within the club at that point, and then it just carried over. Players like uh, Eriksen just didn't want to be right. there, and fantastic when he's on his day. Uh, Alderweireld, who was unsure if he wanted to stay, and even now he looks like he's lost for- form. If anyone saw the game today, he was really poor, and it's very unlike him because we remember Alderville as being one of the best center backs in the world. Fertongen is now up in age. He's not even in the starting lineup. Eric Dyer is now dropping back at, at, at center back, and him too, even though he's not really that old, he's, you know, I think he's in his upper 20s, he's, he's dipping in form too. Pochettino used to make him look like a world-class player at, at certain points in his career. Sure. Now it's just everything is just dipping down. Davinson Ch- Sanchez, not the same player. On the defensive end, and it's very... That's weird to, that's weird to say. We've never seen a team, uh, a defense under Mourinho that has been so poor since you know his last tenure at Man United, that last year. Yeah, sure. So usually all the other times, even in his first two years at Man United, the defense was tight, was one of the best in the league. Chelsea, Inter, yada, 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 the whole nine yards. Right. Something is not right. 
And I think it's partially Mourinho's fault. And I think just like everything is just carried over from the problems from the past and Mourinho just can't get around it. Sure. Like you, so you're basically saying, one, there were a lot of cracks in the ship to begin with. Yeah. And two, Mourinho just doesn't have the right tools at his disposal to try and like salvage this. I think he's trying to do his best. He is. Obviously. He obviously is doing his best, but it's just not working. But look, look at today's game. It's just RB Leipzig have only been in the Bundesliga for four years. And they look like the team that have been together for as long as Tottenham have. And Tottenham look like a team a good point. that just has no idea. Like, they're new to this whole thing. Like, they haven't been the club that they have been over the last few years. Granted, right. they haven't won much silverware, but they were always a top, talented right. club. So, it, it, it's just so frustrating to see this, but it's great for Leipzig. I think Leipzig, what they're doing, as much as the German fans, the majority of German fans do not like uh, RB Leipzig, but it's good for the German football what they've been able to do over the last 10 years or 12 years or so, whatever. I think it was in 2009 um, they were they were founded, RB Leipzig, yeah, as R- and they went as all the RB, way up. Yeah. So it's been a great run for them. Ralph Ranić has done a great job being the sporting director there, finding the young players, getting them cheap, or just growing them in their youth academy. It's been a fantastic run, and right now they look really good. I was very surprised on how well they were able to control Tottenham uh, this week. You know, Sabitzer, usually we, we hear Timo Werner, Timo Werner, Timo Werner. That's exactly who we think of, yeah. Um, but today was Sabitzer. So it's good that RB Leipzig are relying on other players putting the ball away in big games. And we've seen throughout this year that RB Leipzig don't really play. I don't want to say they don't really. Usually against the smaller teams, the mid-table teams, they do a well job the entire 90 minutes. But in the big games... Sometimes um, Nagels, Nagelsmann, yeah, Nagelsmann. I, I always like choke on the it, no, on the coach's was, name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he usually has to make the right adjustments, the right substitutions, adjust the uh, the tactics a little bit, and the team is usually golden. Today, they just completely dominated from the beginning to the end. They got those two quick goals within twenty minutes, and then at the end, Forsberg with just basically the dagger right in the heart of Tottenham. Yeah, no way back from that. Um, question, really. Do we think that, or should I say, do you think that this game is more representative of RB Leipzig and how well that they can play together, or is it just an? Em- are we putting an emphasis on how poor this Tottenham team is? Like, who who do we give the most credit to? You definitely want to give credit where credits due. RB Leipzig are fantastic. They're a really good team. They've been they've been up in the top two in the Bundesliga all year long, and they were, they're really battling out with, with um, Bayern Munich. So you can see that they're playing well. They've been This is a group of players that have been, for the most part, together for quite a while. You know, uh, Upamcano, yeah. fa- who had a fantastic, fantastic match. Game. Sabitzer, even Poulsen, who comes off the bench for, for uh, Timo Werner at times. Uh, there's Mukiele. And Konate, these guys are all young players, 20, 21, 22 years old, and they're just flourishing. But I think what RB Leipzig has been able to do is something really special, and I won't be surprised that 
they can go far in this tournament. So I think this is a good reflection on how good that they've been over the years and how they've been able to maintain that that form and maintain that positive growth in the club. Now, as for Tottenham, they're banged up with injuries. You know, yeah, with, I mean, that's think true. about Juventus not having Ronaldo and Dybala. Yeah, that would be really for, bad. <laughs> th- that'd be pretty difficult. Yeah, you guys still have the resources to to pull out some wins and whatever, but will the results still be there? The same thing goes for Tottenham when it when Son and Kane, and Kane are out. Yeah, that's and very true. Tottenham really need those players. <laughs> no yeah. doubt, they could use, they could use them this game. Their midfield is young. You know, they have uh, they they picked up a few players. They they finalized uh, Los Celso's deal. Their midfield still needs to grow and get used to the league a little bit. Now, the defense, it's in shambles. Maybe they need a revamp there. They Maybe need a revamp the there. So I think in the summertime, Tottenham are really going to look to to really recycle uh, the squad a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and they'll have to. So can we say that RB is a scrub team anymore? No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. They they shook that I, I don't. I don't want to say that they are the elites of Europe sure. yet, but they're like in that tier in between like Porto, Benfica, Ajax kind of tier, Lyon tier, Borussia Dortmund tier, in between like the Bayern Munichs, the Liverpools, the the Man Cities, the Juventuses and yeah. all that. So they're a dark horse. So let's keep an eye on them going forward in this competition. So they advance to the next round. Another goal-laden game. This this game had so many goals. <laughs> Valencia, Atalanta. Should just know that Atalanta are going to score some goals. But this was crazy. Valencia 3, Atalanta 4. Atalanta advance 8-4 on aggregate. Rui, what happened this game? <laughs> what happened this game? Goals galore. <laughs> like, what the hell? This was, this is typical Atalanta. This is already over, I think it was, is it over 70? Oh, no, yeah. 80 goals. Over this 80 goals over 80 this year goals. in all competitions. So these guys are just pouring it in. The only thing, it's their defense. Yeah, man. And I already know who, I feel like I already know who you're going to say. Palomino. Like, yep, there you go. See, I didn't even need to say it. Palomino is the weak link in that back line. Or, yeah. or do you think just the whole... Do you think it's just the three-man defense, or do you think it's just yeah? I think they're just in the back. Combo. Pretty, it's it's a little bit of the combo, and also the fullbacks that are just like very trigger happy. They love to go forward. Yeah. Sometimes it looks like like seven players are above the halfway line and getting closer to that to that eighteen-yard box. It's kind of crazy. If at, at times you just see so many Atalanta players on the opposing um, the the opposing team's end of the field. So it it's kind of crazy when you see that, and that's why at times they can be a little bit of uh, they can be vulnerable in the back. And on top of that, I don't believe that their center backs at that those three defenders in the back are really that great. Yeah, I think that the whole maybe the whole system yeah. itself, it, maybe it's designed that way. You know, like they're meant to score goals, sure. Yeah, but then their whole philosophy is we'll just score more. Then we let in. Yeah, I know? think they're really going to suffer against teams that are going to be able to stop, either keep them away from possession, or just kill off that that counterattack, that that fast paced, high tempo attacks, transitions up the pitch. 
get yeah. into goal. That's what they love to do. That's really their bread and butter. And once they all get up there and their, um, you know, uh, Papu Papu Gomez is able to control the game and slow it down around that that eighteen yard box. It's just it's just so fluid up there yeah. for them. That I mean, can be very dangerous. They can be very very dangerous. So. Actually, I was going to ask you, do Atalanta have what it takes to to make it further in this competition? Do we see any similarities? This is the second part of this question. Do you see any similarities with like an Ajax, you know, just like the, the they have their style, you know, mm-hmm. and sure, they might be a minnow in this competition, but they seem to be upsetting some of it. I guess it, it, it's a little bit like the Ajax story from last season, but I believe the Ajax were actually a more complete team. Sure. Than Atalanta are right now, IX were able to maybe not have their not have their day on the attack, not putting goals in, but they were able to defend. They were able to control possession. They were able to press very well and frustrate the opposing side. That's also that that's one part that was very key. True, Matthias De Ligt and De Young, De Young rotating from the midfield and laying back. It sometimes they would go. With either five throughout the game, their formation would change from a four-two-three-one to a three-four-three, or even a five-three-two or five-four-one. Yeah, you know, depending on the phase, it just depended. That's like how flexible that team was. They were so balanced that they could score one goal, and that's all they needed. Right. Not 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 like like Atalanta when they're gonna if they're gonna go up against Atletico. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to score goals, right? The and it'll. I guarantee you, it'll just be a three-five-two. They don't. I don't see them having the same flexibility. So that was I a don't, good point. I don't think so. But how about Ilicic today? That's what just I was before, gonna say. All right, sorry. Gonna say, I'm no, jumping the totally gun Totally fine. Man of the match goes has to go to Ilicic, dude. Four goals in a Champions League match. That that's more than Inter have scored. Man, he's been fantastic. <laughs> that's garbage. <sorry. laughs> Um, but yeah, no, he's been on fire, man. I guarantee you, if he was maybe like two years younger, oh, his yeah. bet he would be like ninety million right now. But what I what I'm gonna say about Ilicic is, I think if he leaves, he won't be the same player. Probably I think he not. needs to be in this system. Yeah, and I don't think Atalanta would be the same team without him either. I don't think Atalanta would be the same without Gasparini. That's oh, oh 100%. <laughs> I think Gasparini has been incredible for this team. Just working Look with all it. these young kids and getting the absolute best out of every single one of them and even keeping around older players like Ilicic, Papu yeah. Gomez. Papu Gomez has been there for a very long He's time. He's the wrong side of 32, yeah. I think, right? Yep. Yeah. Ilicic is over 30. Like... I mean, he was a journeyman in Serie A before yeah. he got there, but man. And how about this? Too? Getting his chance. The the whole, the aggregate was practically in the bag, and Atalanta Gasparini puts in another attacker. He's yeah. just, no. <laughs> See, but this is... The this balls is, of steel on The on balls Gasparini. of steel, but this is, they're kind of a little, I think Gasparini understands that they are one-dimensional. This is where I was getting at with Ajax. Okay. So Ajax is more comfortable where they can... Uh, they the Ajax the of last year was more comfortable where he didn't have to just focus on the attack. He was flexible. He had options that were more complete. So if he needed to go a little bit more defensive or add another uh, midfielder to press, he could. he could have done that. Or add another attacker, he could have done that. Uh, Eric Eric Tenha could have done that. So 
that's the main difference here between the Ajax of last year and Atalanta of this year. Yeah, Gasparini knows that they can't defend. So yes, yeah. So you just gotta score more and goals. You know okay. what? I think Eric Ten Hag. <laughs> I think Eric Ten Hag would approach the games and make the same tactics. Probably. that Gasparini would uh, are is doing right now. Oh, dude, but um, probably the best coach in Italy, and I have no problem saying that. I really don't. Anyway, moving on to the next game. And this is PSG versus Dortmund. PSG advancing, what was it, 3-2 two, on aggregate, yep. but they won this game 2-0. Rui, the latest on this game out of Paris. This game came down to the team that capitalized on their opportunities. And PSG winning today is a prime example of it. They... Played a little bit better than they did in the first match. I thought that uh, Tuchel switching up the formation this time, going to four in the back, and then I guess you could say a four midfield and two strikers, but they they lined up Staggered. more as a four two two two. Sure, no, I, don't know I if can... I said two too many times, but no, no, I get it. I can four, picture two, that in my head. Two two two. Like two defensive midfielders. Two, two wingers, attack, yeah, like two, or attacking, two attacking mids, mids, and then two two center forwards. Yeah, okay, that I can understand. That. So you could see that uh, PSG were a little bit more comfortable this time. They defended pretty well, though. Despite losing this game, Dortmund still had their opportunities. I was gonna say they they reined in like eleven shots. Yeah, they they had some looks. It didn't fall into the back of the net, and at times, Kimpembe. Uh, PSG were they were without Thiago Silva this game, and Kempepe made a huge, huge game changing um, or goal saving for that matter tackle on Holland. Yeah, actually, you mean when he was in front of the box? Yes, yep, I do. I and remember that. I think that. if Holland was going to collect that ball and that was have a bit of time, I think he would have ripped it right into the back of the net, and the game could have changed. But a thing that I have to bring up on. Dortmund, it's their poor defending again. once again. <laughs> this is what I said. This is the reason why I picked PSG going through. It's because you cannot rely on Dortmund's defending. Once again, Hakimi letting Neymar win yeah, a he header, a diving header, diving header, far post from a corner kick. D- Neymar doesn't score those goals. Yeah, he just doesn't. I'd, you can probably count the number of times he scored a header. In his entire career. This is what... Because I, I love Dortmund's attack. It's a really good attack, but their defense this year has been abysmal. You would have thought going into this season that it would have been great getting Mats Hummels back and then having a Kanji next to him. No, it's it's not the case. It's it's really, really poor. How So let me, let me ask you this question. How do you get beat like that? <laughs> Just falling asleep at falling the post, asleep, not paying attention, and then um, the the next goal was an actual like uh, a yeah, good it was a nice goal. goal, yeah, yeah. So like, I, do we do we give advantage PSG? I mean, going going through whoever they face in the next round, yeah. Does I think it, so. is this a statement win? You think? Yeah, depending who they go up against, I suppose. But now that Liverpool is out, and I know Eddie was roasting me today on on Twitter. Oh my god, because he he brought back. <laughs> He brought back a tweet from what I said in, in December oh, at the you, time. Uh, I was like, basically all the teams in Europe this year are really weird. They're all inconsistent. Man City, Juventus, Bayern right, Munich at sure. the time. Bayern Munich at the time. Now they're red hot. But Liverpool was 
practically the only, the only team that was constantly winning, that was constantly dominating. So I said that you know they they are the most dominant team right now. They look like the favorites or whatever to win the whole CL. They, they and then Eddie and I went at it at that time. And then a few weeks ago, after Atletico beat Liverpool, he brought he like mentioned he went back on my timeline oh and my mentioned God. something. And then today from a uh, year ago, no, it's from no two months ago, like December. Oh, okay, okay. So, oh, man, I got so much stuff today from him. So, yeah, so Liverpool are now out. Yep. I don't really see anyone that is a pure favorite to winning Amongst this whole this thing. this group right now. Out of all the all the teams in in um Shit. that are left over now. Well, that maybe that, Bayern, maybe maybe Bayern? Man City. That but Man City got waxed this weekend against Manchester United. They lost <laughs> again to them. So it's like it, it's it's just such an unbalance here so it's hard to choose. But PSG they can they, I, I, they have said as this. much a chance as anyone? I've said this before in the beginning of the season that this team has matured a lot. They got the right pieces. They got Gouillet in the offseason, and he's been very good in league. Uh, he's been pretty decent in the Champions League. And he was kind of a missing piece that they needed to be a more complete side, a more competitive side. And they got out of this jam, which usually the typical yeah. PSG would have would have buckled. Oh, they would have buckled. And they're out of it. So let's see who they play against in the next round. And I'm I'm going to stick by to what I said. I think PSG can win it. I think they are one of the favorites of winning it this year. And I think it's different from all the other years uh, past. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, so we're now on to the premier, <laughs> funny, premier fixture <clears throat> that we were all waiting for this week. And that is... Liverpool taking on Atletico at Anfield. Oh, boy. <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Liverpool 2, Atletico Madrid 3, Atletico advances 4-2. On aggregate. On aggregate. No one saw this coming. Nobody saw this happening. Rui, what the fuck happened <laughs> in this game? I couldn't tell you, man. Just I uh, the way this game went was all Liverpool. That was that was I saw it was all Liverpool, man. Yeah, and um, I I was telling myself I was watching this game. Um, I was at work. I was doing um, I was doing some paperwork at work. So it's just I had mindless. The, yeah, I had the game going on next to me, doing my work, going back and forth. And I was just like, this game right now, it's if. If Liverpool do not score their their second goal before the 90th minute, they're going to lose. And they're going to lose because of Oscar Ortega. And so many people do not know who this man is. Oscar Ortega? Oscar Ortega is the conditioning coach for Atletico Madrid. He is the reason why these guys, the players on the pitch, can run around for 90 minutes and not be tired doing the workload that they do. And they got in Liverpool's head, and they frustrated the hell out of them, and we saw it in in in, in um, the extra time. That We saw it in the extra time, and that is what beat them. Because Liverpool were that. slowly starting to slow down. It didn't look like it, but towards the end of the, of the second half, they were starting to slow down a little bit. They were becoming a little sloppy. But they, in the beginning of the the extra time, 
they they managed to score one and then Atletico they pounced on the mistakes made by made by Liverpool and they scored that goal that crucial goal so let's paint a picture so you're saying the entire basically the entire game the whole 90 minutes was most was Liverpool right mm-hmm. then we go into extra time Liverpool's tired and then Atletico just capitalizes on all those mistakes. Yeah, and I, I think the mistakes the mistakes did obviously cost Liverpool Big. the match. So, I mean, I, did, I was going to ask you, do you think fatigue was, was well, partially, yeah. partially the reason? So do you think that that's attributed to just how Liverpool plays? Because they, they, they were chasing the game. Yeah, where, they, they, they were in Atletico control of the not. game. And even in overtime, they still looked decent, but they were slowing down a bit. But here's the, the number one thing that I'm going to get at is there's no other team in the world that can be able to score score and continue to press and continue to strive forward on counterattacks whenever they have the opportunity for 120 freaking minutes. There's no other team that can do this besides them. And this is where I'm getting at with Oscar Ortega. He's the conditioning, fitness, and strength coach at Atletico Madrid. And this is why they were very, very good over the years. Now, it's not just the tactics. Obviously, the tactics are crucial in this, sure. but you need to have the players and you need to have the fit players, not just not just talent-wise, but physically-wise. You need to have the right players in. And the workouts that this guy does in the offseason and even throughout the entire year, and one of the funniest things, too, about Atletico, throughout all the big teams in Europe, they are the team with the few, uh, the fewest muscle injuries. That's bizarre, but despite all fun the running fact. that they that they do, so the way that they were playing, no other team would have been capable of yeah. still having That's the true. energy, the endurance to keep going forward throughout 120 minutes. Yeah, no team right now, at least that that was a masterclass by Cholo Simeone, and which I, which leads me to my next question: Can we say that defensive football is dead? Now that Atletico have, you know, overcome Liverpool. I think it's a dying breed. I I would be inclined to agree as well. Because with Mourinho, it, it kind of worked at Manchester United, especially in sure. his second year. Because his attack was was Shit. better than the year before, but it was their defense keeping clean sheets and not conceding a lot of goals. That garbage defense that he had. With Chris Smalling and Phil Jones and <laughs> Valencia and Ashley right. Young and whatever. Whoever yeah. else they had back there. But we don't really see that anymore. Right. That's true. You know, um, I guess you can say Sergio Conceição a little bit from Porto is a little bit more defensive. Sure. Um, yeah, Atletico Madrid. Antonio Conte. Antonio like- Conte, yeah. But yeah, not it, it's not, not even in the Italian league. The Italians used to be the art of this, right? Of organized defending, strategic, uh, strategic and and sharp defending. That was that was their bread and butter. That's what they were known for. We don't even see it in Serie A anymore. Yeah, teams like Napoli, true. teams like Atalanta, even Juventus are really transforming. Yeah, from that aspect. Yeah, that's very true. So, it's uh, it's, cha- it's it's a dying breed. Yeah, it's all about scoring the goals. Uh, another question for you, Rui. I think you're going to like this one. Oblak. Can we say that he's the best in the world right now? He's by far the best goalie in the world. 
Oh my god. I kept wondering how he made the saves that he did, dude. Insane. If you guys haven't seen the highlights, just watch these highlights. Liverpool was pouring in shots, making saves every time. It seemed like Roberto Firmino wasn't going to score at Anfield again. The last (laughs) time he had scored was in April of last year, but he ended up... He ended he up finally getting behind Oblak on a, um, on a cross, which went off the post, and he collected the rebound and put the empty netter away, or the open netter away. It was an absolute monstrous performance from, from Oblak. Can we Wh- say that they won because of him? You can say that. There was also great defending that went along there with it. There was great defending, yeah. A goalkeeper's job is to keep the net, the ball out of the net, and Oblak did just that, and he went to the absolute extreme to keep as many goals out because the two that he let in, there was absolutely nothing that he could do about them. Yeah, especially the second one. That what what happened? It ricocheted off the post, and then Firmino. Yeah, was Firmino. Just, yeah, he was just right there. Nothing that. You and Wijnaldum had a perfect header. That was just perfect execution from all around. It wasn't even that terrible defending. Yeah, sure. He was a little bit. He was lo- he was left loose a little bit in the box, but that's more of a perfect cross than it is poor defending. So, and Wijnaldum just perfectly placed that that um, that header into the side net. Oblak couldn't. No goalkeeper could have gotten that. So, do we think is Atletico is an, another contender? For this competition, or do you think that their luck will have run out after this? It's so hard to it's so hard to maintain that that type of form, that to to consistently perform that way and with that approach, it's a lot more difficult than, for example, I guess Tiki Taka, because you're more in control. You have the the ball at your feet. You have the ball at at your feet, where. When you're playing Simeone-style football, you're trained to press and contain the uh, the opponents. Yeah, you don't have the ball. So if you run into Juventus of a year ago in the second leg, <laughs> there's no one that's going to stop that. Yeah. So it's... I don't know. They, they're leaning a lot on that. They're depending a lot on it. And it, I think it's, it can only get them so far... Just as, I guess, any other Cinderella story team or sure. Dark Horse team can go as far as they usually do. Sometimes they end up winning the whole thing, and sometimes they end up falling short. But it's so hard to see a team like this consistently provide the same results or, or at least play the same way. Yeah, that very good point. So uh, another one that we just got to see so that you wouldn't exactly call them a contender. They're one of the best teams. They're in one Europe. of the best teams. They have they certainly are. practically now that Liverpool are out. I think they have the best defense in, in in Europe. But you can only rely on that for so much. So they need they need to score goals. They need to score goals. Yep, and that and, is always the key. What well, I'm sorry, really, and they have to be a little bit prettier than the ones today. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, the, uh, the, all those I think just rolled on the ground and right into the back of the net. The first one is what left. kicked everything off. Yeah. And that was a huge howler from the goalkeeper. Yeah, well, it was a horrible clearance. pass from yep. Allison, and then it was it was practically straight to Joao, wasn't it? Um, no, I think it was to Mar. I think it was to Coque, and then to Marcos Llorente. Yep, and he slotted it in. 
And then I don't he had no business scoring that second goal. That was just <laughs> that second goal was just it, it was a perfect shot. It was a it great really shot. It was a perfect but shot. Liverpool were already focusing on the attack. They were pushed forward. That's why it was basically two on two with Marcos uh, Llorente and Alvaro Morata. Morata just finds Llorente in the middle of the pitch, beats by Joe Gomez, and just rips the shot right into the back of the net. Uh, it was a great with the shot. Last one. Yeah, and Morata on the last one. So, but they need to score within those ninety minutes. I think. Yeah. It, to feel comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see if they are able to do that for the next round. But that kind of wraps it up for for this segment of the Champions League. Fingers crossed that we get more Champions League football. I know that I feel like football everywhere, especially in Europe, is kind of all over the place right now. You know, schedules aren't being finalized. Games are getting canceled or, or being played behind closed doors. It's a very, very weird time to be a football fan, at least – in my opinion, uh, I hope that everyone who's suffering from the coronavirus, I hope that they're doing much better. I I wish a speedy recovery to anyone who's affected by it, and I just I just want football to be back and everything running smoothly again. You know, absolutely. And the most important thing is safety for everyone. Right. I just want this whole thing to clear up and. I know the vaccines are on the way. They say they have one ready, I think, in Texas, but they still have to, like, I, I don't know. They got to mass they produce gotta, it. Yeah, they have to experiment it and all that stuff, test it out before they can actually test Give it. Give it to humans? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Let's hope. Um, but uh, hopefully this this virus just slows down and affects or doesn't minimally. Affect yeah, it doesn't else. affect anyone, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so everyone, please stay safe and do the right thing. You know, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. <laughs> I never thought I'd have to say that on the podcast. I'll be honest with you. Never yeah. thought I'd be giving PSAs. Just wash your hands. But um, we actually had another great part of this show. Rui was kind enough, or actually, I should say this: our good friend Vijay Rahman was kind enough to come on our show, and Rui gave a little interview with him about. Um, Milan and everything else. Yeah, and a little bit of the coronavirus. A little bit of the coronavirus thrown in there. So that's going to be the next segment. And uh, we'll hear from you guys later. So I am really excited to welcome an amazing guest on the show. For those of you that know that don't know who he is, he is a writer for Football Italia, Sempre Milan, Breaking the Lines, World Football Index, Valvo, Last Word on Cricket, Get Italian Football News, The Laziale, La Milano Rossonera, and hashtag AlexVJMilanisti, and his Twitter handle name is at TriniSportsGuy, the one and only VJ Rahman. How are you, my friend? Great, great, great. <laughs> so, so, thanks for having me, Ruiz. appreciate it. How are you? Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing great. It was a long day at work today, but I'm so looking forward to talking calcio with you i know it's been a while we've been planning on having you on and i'm really excited to have you on and talk a little bit about milan and a little bit of the coronavirus that's going on and how it's impacting not just Serie A, our favorite league but also world football all right so vj before we get into like all the um i guess all the topics that are going on in milan 
I want to get to a little. I want to get a little bit uh, to know about you and how you became a Milan fan. So how did all this start? Well, uh, basically, I started following Serie roughly over 25 years ago, and well, at that time, Serie was the, the strongest league in the world, and Milan was basically the best team at the time. And as a child, I was just uh, 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 taken back by by the the play and the success, and it basically just snowballed from there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's uh, especially about 25 years ago when they were in that um, was it the uh, Sachi and Capello era. Milan. Well, I I saw I didn't I never saw them under Saki live, but my first experiences really was from Capello. Let's say you can really say really from Capello oh. from that like ninety. 
it, it affects all all types of us fans. I mean, last week I believe it was Wednesday or Tuesday, the ultras. Um, whether you like them or, or, or not, they, they 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 are part of the club and they they release a statement saying that you know the dirty laundry should be handled in house. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know because it doesn't give the the, the club a, a good name at all. And you see what makes it worse is that. The on-field performances, and let's be honest, for the past since since the Scudetto win of 2011, so that's nine years now, it has been up and down, and especially in the last three years. I mean, Milan hasn't qualified for the Champions League since 2014. So it's one thing if there's there's a lot of infighting and and, and public and unrest behind the scenes that is on view in public, but when the team itself is not performing, it just makes it worse. You know, I mean, good performances of the team on the field. Tends to, uh, tends to, you know, you 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 kind of look beyond whatever drama is taking place off the field because on the field things are going well. So I mean, they, they, there's they, that that just makes it worse in my opinion. Um, yeah. So to the second, the second question, second part of your question. Um, in my humble opinion, it was not right to get rid of him. Um, now the the thing with Boban is. When they brought him back to the club, I mean, everybody who knows anything about Boban, they, they know what he's about. They know how he was as a player. They know how he was as a TV pundit. He's a no-holds-barred, speaks-his-mind type, type, type of character. <laughs> so when they brought him in, they brought him in as a to work in the sports development part of the, of the club, to improve the club. Now, to improve the club, you need better players. So with the whole thing with Ralph Ragnett and 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 as and he Boban quoted it saying that um, Gazidis and others basically went behind their backs, meaning him, Maldini and Masara. Um, you know he did, and you know he was in the interview with, with uh, I believe it was Gazeta de la Sport, and there's no way he was going to hold back. He was going to speak his mind, um, whether whoever did not like it or not. So that that that. I just the way it is. I just the way how he was. So how he is, I should say. Sorry. Um. Um. Now, from speaking purely as a fan, I understand where he was coming from, right? Because he he knows again, like I was saying a, a minute ago, he knows that the club needs certain, a certain level of player to get back to its former glories, right? right. Now, yeah. and so so if he if he is not seeing that happening, and then on top of that, he is feeling sort of. I I I don't think he 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 mentioned he actually said this word, but I believe he probably he felt a bit betrayed that the CEO would contact someone else, and apparently it went on November December, so that was barely even halfway into the season. So if that happened halfway into the season, that has been, and if he got word of that, we are now in early March, right? So that's a, a few months in. Yep. A few months ago, it would have happened. So all that, you know, resentment and, and thing would have been building up and building up. So <laughs> I guess that interview was basically him just letting it all out. So in my opinion, it wasn't right. But again, on on the flip side, if you are CEO of a company, you can't have your employees speaking about you in that way. Exactly. So again, as a right, you know. So I mean, again, I'm talking as a fan. As a fan, I don't think it was right to get rid of him. Because he's a legend, and I believe at heart he wants the best for the club. 
But if you're looking from Gazidas, who is a, a CEO, mm -hmm. his, from his perspective, and I'm purely speaking now about his perspective as a CEO, you can't have your employees speaking about you in that way, especially in public. If they do it face-to-face -face in a meeting or, or after a match or something, it's one thing. But to do it in public, and especially to such a big publication like Gazette Dada Sport. I mean, everybody reads Gazette Dada Sport, right? It's yep. one of the biggest. I mean, if you, the, when I first started doing my research in terms of media houses, in terms of Italian football, the first one that I came across was Gazette Dada Sport. And I was right. like, again, over 20 years ago. So you know, <laughs> it's such a pub, it's a big publication. So what your, your words in Gazette Dada Sport, no matter who you are, will cause eruption, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So, yeah. No, I, I totally, I totally 100% agree with you on that. I felt that, I always felt that Boban should have conducted himself a little bit more professional than he did. He shouldn't have lashed out at Gazidis. I think he should have just uh, handled it a little bit differently. And then, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. Then you can lash out at Gazidis in his office behind closed doors so no one else sees it because this, this starts a whole, a whole mess and a whole turmoil, and it already has. So I don't agree with Gazidis going about this whole thing. I actually I am totally against him right now as a Milan fan. And, right. I, and Boban does have my support. Maldini and, and, um, and Masada have my support. But um, the way that Boban handled it, it was just it, it was just unprofessional. And I can understand why that they had to terminate him because of that, because you have to conduct yourself professionally. Yeah, yeah, and and you see the, the you see that that's you see when you're hiring people, you have to know the character, of the person. Because again, I will say with Boban, um, we we you, you you may recall his infamous argument with um, Antonio Conte back in 2012 when the Montari goal against Juve wasn't given. Yeah, you know he had this big argument, and at that time he was at Sky, which uh, I believe is you could consider the biggest. Uh, sports channel in Italy, and he was a, a TV pony with Sky, and he he and Antonio Conte had it out in in the public view. That's on, right on live television. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he if if he's going to do it on live television, right after a match, I mean, and and some people might think, yeah, well, I mean, that was eight years ago. He may have toned down. No, no, he 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 hasn't toned down. He is he is like I say, Zonavel Boban is who he is. That's how he is, and and I believe it's part of the reason why he has gotten the success he has gotten, both as a player, a TV pundit, and and and, and another thing people need to re realize about Boban is that he he was before he came back to Milan, he was he left a very very lucrative and successful job at FIFA. I remember he was at FIFA before. Right. Yep. Right. So. Imagine you are at a stable, lucrative job that you're doing very well in, and I believe when he was contacted, because I believe the first person to make contact was 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 Maldini, asking him to come back. Remember they played together, so they have a good relationship. So you know when you know that when Maldini asked him to come back, you know that probably would have pulled at his heartstrings a bit. I say you know what I I was on the books at Milan for ten years. The team is not doing well. The team the team have new owners. You know Elliot management and Gazidis came and as he said, you know let me come back to my old club, try to contribute, try to help them get back. To, to to the 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 type of play I know they they they, they can they can produce during my time and before and after so you know so that 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 would have played a part in it and then you know for him again we us us as fans and us as the public we don't know 100% true if what Boban is saying about 
because the last the last last bit of information I got in terms of Ragnick was that Boban said that he has it under good authority that Ragnick was was um he was contacted as early as December. Right. So right. I mean that it's for you to go back to your club and then just a few men, a few months later for this to happen. I mean it must it must i sure it probably hurt him to, to to find out that if you know if, if what he's saying is true. So you know when the interview came in again I would say a few months later she basically just let off the steam, you know. So. Yeah, and uh, especially all the progress that Milan have made and the the current transfer window in the winter that we just had. Yeah. Boban had a lot to do with, you know, the players coming in, Kier and Ibrahimovic. So, right. and I, I'm sure this really hurts him, and I totally feel for him. Um, as much as I disagree with how he handled the situation, but I, I, uh, I definitely do support him. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, me as well, me as well. Yeah. <laughs> so let's jump on to Rolf Ragnick. So say he, he does come to Milan as a sporting director and as the manager. What do you make of it? Uh, what do you make of him coming here, given his track record at uh, Red Bull and uh, Hoffenheim? Well, it, another deep breath um, required for this one. <laughs> well, to, to, to be honest, I try to be as optimistic as possible, you know, because, I mean, this is this is AC Milan we're talking about. This is the club I've supported for so long. So I want to be as optimistic as possible that things will turn around and they will eventually start rising again um but i mean he, he from what i i know of him i'm the only trophy he i'm just talking about if he becomes another manager for now but the only trophy he won i believe was the german cup with with Schalke back in 2011 so that was nine years ago um but he apparently has done pretty well as a, a sporting director with red bull you know in terms of promotion of the clubs because remember red bull has a bunch of clubs around the world they have they have um Salzburg, they have Leipzig, they have New York Red Bull, um, they have one or two others around the world. And, you know, the, the, the coverage and the promotion and public relations and marketing of all those clubs has, has increased exponentially in, in recent times. So he must be doing something right, right, in terms of the sporting director side. Um, but I'll, I'll, to be honest, if, if he comes in as a sporting director, I'll have I'll be honest, I have more confidence in him as a sporting director than, say, as a manager, because I don't know as much about him in terms of his track record as a manager. Again, like I said, um, as far as I know, the only trophy he has won as a manager was the German Cup nine years ago. But mm -hmm. in terms of his sporting director side, he seems to have done pretty well in recent years. So I'll be a bit more confident if he was say the sporting director and he was the manager now <laughs> uh, again we are already going on rumors and the rumors are that he may he may end up doing both jobs uh, that that would be a tough task for him to, to handle both jobs that's a, that's, that's a lot to, to have on his plate so that's the way yeah. i see that at this point i wonder how he will um handle all that stress because when i believe when he left hoffenheim to go to schalke uh, for his second tenure at Schalke, he had to stop coaching after a year because of all the amount of stress that he had because he was basically running the club from top to bottom. It wasn't just coaching. It wasn't just being the sporting director. It was actually like organizing everything from like what the players ate, how like how um, 
Uh, they would take care of transportation, going to games, literally everything he had to take care of. So yeah. hopefully he's not going to carry that much weight on his shoulders if he were to come to Milan and have both jobs, manager and sporting director. But I do have to agree with you. I think the sporting director uh, side, I think he would be great at. Manager, still not quite sure on that part for me. Yeah, I, I, I see that is, that is a concern because if if uh... – if my research is correct, okay, like I said, he won the German Cup 2011. If my research is correct, I believe it was the following season he actually resigned, you know, halfway. It could have been five or six months, or roughly halfway through the following season because of, you know, the issue you said. So now think about that. That would have been 11, 12. So that's eight seasons ago. So if eight seasons ago he had to resign because it was too stressful, what is to say that now eight, eight years later, I mean, how how is it going to be any different now? I mean, you know, I mean, you would you would think it'll probably be more 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 difficult now because because okay, so Boban has been let go. There are strong rumors, as we know, that Maldini will be let go. He's basically more or less probably seen out this season if it take, even takes place. Um, Masara probably will be let go as well. So that's that's three people that will that will be going there that he will probably have to take over that part. And according to what they decided to do with Pioli. So, you know, that, yeah. that, 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 to me, that, that, to me, that is a, that's a big, big concern, as you mentioned, because it, uh, you know, we, 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 everybody gets older, right? <laughs> so if eight years ago he left because it was too stressful, how is he going to handle it now? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Like if he gets like a little bit less work, uh, less uh, responsibilities, I think he can, uh, I think he could handle it. But um, next question I have for you. So, Unfortunately, this past weekend, Milan's form had had gotten cut short against Genoa after a 2-1 to loss at home in an empty stadium. Do you think Pioli and some of the players have been affected by the drama that's been going on in the board? Or was this just an off game? Uh, personally, I, I definitely believe they, they would have been affected. I mean, how, how could they not, right? I mean, yeah. first of all, yeah, yeah, uh, as a court, okay. You have your coach and your players. First of all, the coach, his his position at the club is tenuous as best at, at best, right? He he basically he he almost is assured that he's not going to be there next year, right? So that's that's him. Now the coach is supposed to motivate the players before they take the field, right? right. So if the coach knows that hey my my job is basically just to see all the season and I'm gone, how is he? Going to 100% motivate the players. Now, again, publicly, and I stress publicly, Pioli was very forthright and he said that he is motivated, he has the backing of the club, he he has faith in his players that they will go out and perform because I was watching as much leading up to the general game from last week onwards, right up until Sunday, Sunday morning, which would have been Sunday morning my time. I watch as much and try to follow as much news and, and interviews as possible to see, to kind of get a feel of the club and uh, the players and the manager. And from everything I saw from him and the players, they were all motivated, right? Um, but how they, I'm sure they were affected by it. So if the manager would have been affected, he's the one who has to motivate the players. So if the, he can, he's, he's feeling that pressure. And then how is he supposed to motivate the players? 100%. And I stress 100% because you can motivate the players 75%, 80% before they take the field, but they need to be motivated 100%. And then you throw on that, on top of all that, all that 
added pressure, it's the only fact that the Sancero faithful were not there. Right? Mm. You know, yep. um, this season, the, the, the Milan fans at the Sancero have been absolutely fantastic. I mean, the team has been up and down. They haven't been playing as well a, 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 a lot of games, but the, the team has been averaging, I believe, is like 50, 55,000 fans. I mean, some, some games they get 60-something thousand. So, you know, I mean, who knows how many fans would have showed up to the Genoa game. You know, maybe they would have gotten another 50, 55, 60,000. So I'm sure they would have been motivated by having those fans. So it's really the fact that Pioli knows his situation is, is you know, untenable. He, he might not be the next next season. The players are in a spin about their future and there are no fans. So that's that's like, that's like a triple whammy. So <laughs> to me, it, it, must, it must have affected them uh, uh, at some point. It must have yep. affected them going on to the field. Uh, very well said. So lastly on Milan, do the futures of any key players such as Ibra, Rebic, Leon, Benacer, Tiao, um, Theo Hernandez, or anyone else concern you given what has happened to Boban being sacked and Maldini potentially leaving in the summer? I I am concerned about all of them, to be quite frank with you, all of them. Um, again, you know, kind of throw back from our, our, our last topic is that you know, they, they as players, they, they want to they want to reach and achieve their full potential. Now, someone like Ibra, he, he came back, you know, to try to help the club, you know, as a sort of a last saloon. But someone like Rebic, Leo, Liao, you know, Benesser, Theo, even even uh, even in Milan's um, younger players, you know, you know, Gigio and Donnarumma, yeah, you know, true. you know, Milan captain Romagnoli, all them are all them are young, and they're probably thinking, you know, I'm I'm you know in my early, you know, all I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm I'm in my early twenties, I probably have a good ten years again to go to to achieve success, you know, am I seeing it to potentially happen here at Milan? You know, right. and now, now again, I'm going to talk as a fan here. I I hope and pray, and I really do hope and pray that they all they all stay and stick it out with the club and try to get the club back up, you know, in the upper echelons of Italian, European, and, and world football. But again, and now I'm going to talk as a player. If there are players and they're thinking, you know, I want to achieve success, and um, it's it's one 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 problem to another with, with the club. And the thing about it is now, as as you yourself mentioned that, and as we discussed earlier in the conversation, you know, um, a lot of the players who came in, the younger players, they came in because they would have had conversations with Boban and Maldini yes. last summer. You know, we mm-hmm. we all we we uh, I show you know that the, the the famous conversation where Maldini went to Madrid and personally spoke to Theo Hernandez. You understand? I mean, you can imagine you being a, a, a 22, 23-year-old left back and one of the greatest defenders in history comes to your city to speak to you, to convince you to come to, to his club. I mean, that must have warmed his heart, you know? And yeah. And, that, and I'm sure that is, he probably was thinking about that, thinking about joining Milan before that conversation, but I'm sure that really pushed him and said, hey, you know, Paolo Maldini, the great Paolo Maldini came to came to my city, came to my home and spoke to me and asked me to come to Milan personally. So yes, I I I went. So you know what what must he someone like him been thinking that you know he he would have spoken to Maldini and then just potentially he leave him leaving. Now obviously Maldini is still there. It's not official that he has been sacked, but mm-hmm. you know 
it, it, it seems Boban and Maldini is almost like a sort of a, a, a two-way package, you know, both of them kind of go hand in hand, you know. Yes. So, you know, I, I, it, I am, you know, as, as a fan, I, I am gravely concerned with a lot, a lot of the players. Again, not, not just those that joined last year, but especially those like, like Donnarumma and, and, and Romagnoli, because I, a couple of years ago, I was, I was, you know, I was looking at the team and I was saying, okay, you know, a lot, of, we, we always discuss the spine of a football team, right? The goalkeeper, the central, the central, the centre back, the central midfielder, the striker, right? And I was looking at me and I say, okay, uh, Milan have Donnarumma, Romagnoli, Locatelli, and Cotroni, right? That is yeah. down the middle. <laughs> Locatelli and Cotroni, not really club anymore, right? So, yeah, yeah. So the uh, out of the Fab Four, so to speak, is only two of them left, right? <laughs> and probably the, the two who left are the two out of the four who are the most talented arguably one is the captain and one is the one of the brightest young goalkeepers in the world so you know i am being honest i am gravely concerned and then plus we all know who donnarumma's agent is the infamous mino Raiola, mm-hmm. right and he again just like we talk about previous people i mean like him like him or hate him he looks out for his client any way he sees fit so you know he will. He and I'm. I and we all know he's not. He's not happy about the current Milan situation. So I would not be surprised unless things improve. And I don't know if you would have seen, but um, I saw rumors again. They um, just this past this same week of um, Arnold, as Billy that's how he pronounces him, um, that the agreement actually between him and Italian management to, to buy the club has actually been signed, but because of a non-disclosure agreement, they can't make it public. Now, if that was to happen, um, one would believe that that would bring some stability to the club, and they can therefore let the players and the players' agents especially know that, hey, we have a, a set plan in place, and this is the way forward, so please stay with us, and you could see you could see success wow well said yeah. once again uh vj thank you so much for that now we're going to jump from milan and to the coronavirus that's been not just affecting italy but practically the entire world but right. i do want to talk about how it's impacting Serie A. So Italy's prime minister has suspended all sporting events in Italy including Serie A until April 3rd. The Euros are going to start in June and the season seems unlikely that it will finish. Now I kind of have two questions for you on this. How do you think the season will end? And in your opinion, should um how should the season end? Hi, um well the first one, I I don't see how they could get any full season before the Euros, and I stress before the Euros, because so so basically it's a month off, right? So you have a you have a month where there'll be no football. So if when they do come back in April, that leaves them with just two months to complete. How, how many? Some most of the teams on average have played 25, 26 games, right? Yep. So there's still 12 games to go. There's still the second leg of the Coppa Italia, and then there's still. Champions League and Europa League. Okay, so you have like a team Atalanta. Atalanta qualified for the quarterfinals of the Champions League today. Very impressively. I'm very impressed with them. Um, Juve plays Lyon. Um, even though they lost the first leg, you expect them to go through. You, know, you have Inter. 
they have Napoli playing Barcelona, they, they have a tough chance to, to get you to Barcelona. They have a, a slight chance, but it, it, you know they could possibly pull off a miracle, so to speak. Then you have Inter Roma and Europa League. So if you have all those clubs and if they if they all progress in Europe, I don't I definitely don't see how it's possible that they could get in all this Serie A season. Mm-hmm. The, the, the rest of the games. The, oh, honestly, the only way they, they could have possibly, and this still would have been a, a stretch for them to get it through, is if all the Italian teams got knocked out in Europe. So that, for instance, when Champions League and Europa League is going on, they could play Serie and get the, the season done. That, that to me is the only way they could have, they could get the all the games because it's like I say, it's it's still 12 games to go. Now 12 games, one one a week, right there. That's three months. So and it, and if, if they come back in April too, that means that that gives them only two months of finish, which means they'll have to play every three to four days. Yeah. And again, that is that is pre- predicated on the fact that the teams don't play in Europe. But obviously, as a Serie fan, you want all the teams to progress in Europe as far as possible. So, and then again, we have we still have the Copa. We still have three more games at least in the Copa Italia. The two um, second leg semifinals, and you have the grand final um, to take place. So I don't see how they could get in the rest of the season. And uh, so, how yeah. do you think, if you can? How do you think the season should end, in your opinion? Right. In in my personal opinion, I would rather they postpone the Euros until 2021 and extend the European season. Well, I'll be into, into June. It'll probably go into, if it was to, let's say they come back in April, early April. They postpone. Okay, so first of all, they postpone the Euros. Till 2021, they come back in early April. They give them April, May, June to complete the entire season. I'm talking league, I'm talking um, Copa, the, the cup competition, I'm talking Europe. And, and I'm not just talking about um, Italian football, I'm talking about all the leagues because um, uh, I believe like two hours ago, I saw the president of Getafe say that they, he, he doesn't want his team to go to Milan to play Inter in the Europa League on Thursday. So if that was to be confirmed right there, that's another day and another round of matches that will have to be pushed back. So, so, so personally, I would like to see them postpone the Euros till 2021, extend the season all the way till the end of June and complete the season. Um, to me, that's the best way. Um, now, apparently so far, and again, this is only what I read up to today, um, UEFA has, reje- has rejected that proposal. Um, they, they say they, they're not going to do that. They, 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 have, um, they, have, they have their plans for Euros to start 12th of June. The first game is Italy, Turkey in, in Rome. So they have that plan. And as far as I know at this point, so today is the 10th of March, so March, April, May, June, so just over three months. Um, as we speak, they have rejected that proposal. So who knows, it may change in the next couple of weeks, to, uh, couple of months or so. But to me personally, that is what I would like to see happen. Well, so lastly, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you rate Serie A handling of the, of the coronavirus? Well, <laughs> wow, this is, this is an interesting one. Such an such a interesting question. <laughs> Right. Um, I I would give them a six. 
right? And I, I, I would a tell little, you... A little bit higher than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's why I take off, I, I took off all four points, right? Yeah. No, it's let's be let, let's be honest. This entire, I, I try I try to I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I try to be as optimistic as possible, as I said before, with when you're talking specifically about Milan. And let's be honest, this entire situation is unprecedented. It's never happened before, right? As as far as I know, the only time a, se- a season has been has had to stop entirely was because of the First World War back in 1914, 1915, I believe. That's the only time a football season, at least in Italy, that I know of, has had to been stopped, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's not easy to coordinate and cooperate all the fixtures together when, when I mean, the news basically change every hour, right? I mean, just, just, just okay, like, for instance, you know, the, 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 it is getting more and more serious as I can't, you can't even say every every week or every day is this is virtually every hour the news changes and but back to what I was saying before how how I basically took off four points was what happened in the Palmer Spal game on Sunday um yeah on on Sunday the the players were basically the the players were basically Literally, probably less than a minute from taking from taking the field, and they were told to go back to the dressing room. I mean, that is that just that just Yeah. Plain, plain and simply, that was that was just farcical, because mm-hmm. the players are not just physically, tactically, and technically ready to to play the game, but mentally they were prepared already to play the game, right? Because they would have gotten the last-minute instructions from their coaches. They would have seen the tactics to play on the field. And the, between between leaving the dressing room and standing up and waiting before they go on the field, they would have been probably mentally preparing. Okay, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to mark. This is this where I have to go. Whatever has been the, the, the case may be. And then they've been told, well, okay, no, guys, sorry. You have to go back to your dressing room. That was just a total fast. So that, 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 that to me, that that was that was that was really really poor organization because up until Sunday morning, it was confirmed all the games would go ahead um, as as planned and they were going to have a meeting on Tuesday. Well, uh, yeah, they were going to have a meeting on Tuesday, so it means they had games on Sunday. They had one game. Um, they would have one game yesterday, Sassuolo, um, Russia. So all the games that planned for Sunday morning would have gone ahead. They would have had a meeting on Tuesday. Then they would have decided what they're going to do. Then come now, Palmer's pal about players about to take the field. They say, ah, nah, go back to your, go back to your dress room. <laughs> that, 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 that was just a total fast. So basically, they, 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 I took off all four points because of that. But yeah. I, still, I still, like I said, I still try to give them the benefit of the doubt because of the entire situation as an unprecedented situation. And it's it's not easy because, like I say, the, the, the situation is basically changing every hour. It's not to say something changing yeah. weekly or daily, it's changing every hour. So uh, I still try to be as diplomatic, let's just say, as as, as possible with, with where is that uh, is concerned? I guess, I don't know. I guess the way you put it, I'm going to have to side with you on that. I guess I have to give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt because it's really hard to prepare for something like this. But it was really, for me, it was really the weekend leading up to the, to the Copa, um, not the Copa d'Italia, the, uh, the Derby d'Italia uh, right. a week and a half ago, how they just canceled that just, uh, just the day before the match. You know, and they were still already planning on playing uh, Milan and Juventus with a full stadium just a few days after. 
And then the whole seesaw, oh, let's push it a Monday instead of Sunday. It it was just uh, – I felt like we lost – we lost a weekend of football when we knew that the Euros were coming up this summer. And basically, the title race is very tight, and each weekend counts, and we're just wasting time. And I felt City R really handled it poorly. But then again, the way that you explained it, it, it it's really something to to prepare for and handle, especially right in the uh, right in the heat of the moment. So. But, BJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. And to finally have you on, you know, I'm a huge fan of your work. You know, you work really hard, and I love reading your pieces. You have a – as you provided on this show, you have a great amount of intelligence and knowledge on the sport. You know, you've been doing this for a very long time, and it just shows so – you know, I, I it's really great to have you on. I'm I'm really happy, and just the way this episode went, I'm very happy with uh, what you were able to uh, to give the show, and also to the people that are listening. Uh, yes. Um. Well, first of all, thanks thanks for having me. Really, is uh, greatly appreciated. And um, yeah, just you know, in my views and as 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 best as I can, and try try to stick to what I truly believe in and and be truthful for what what I what I feel and. Yeah, so but I, I greatly appreciate the, the opportunity and chance to come on your come on your program. Thanks a lot. 